When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to More Than Amused Podcast, our first new episode of 2024. Excited to be back. My name's Sadie. I'm Stani. And I'm so excited about this episode. Mm-hmm. Like, we have alluded to it. I got to go see Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks in concert in December in Arizona, mm-hmm. and it was incredible. Like, it was so good. And so, of course, I had to do Stevie Nicks to start off the year and to be able to talk about the concert experience and just, like, the incredible person yeah. and performer and songwriter that she is. Amazing. No, I'm so excited. And also, we're having a bit of a themed month, which we don't mm-hmm. normally do. But this month, it's going to be a whole month on different women in rock. Um, obviously, you, Stevie Nicks. Um, the artist that I'm going to be covering is one that was a woman a little bit behind the scenes in the world of rock and roll. Love Next that. season, we're going to be talking about a book as well as with an interview with an author. So we realized that all the contact we had planned were pretty similar. They're like, let's just theme it. Let's make a month of it. So we've got our women in rock theme to start off the year 2024 i'm excited me too plus it's just like such a fun thing to talk about i don't know there's a lot of women in the music scene but it's cool to talk about the women who made it in the rock scene especially Mm -hmm. early on because if you listen to like our riot girl episode or other things like that there's a lot of genres and areas that are just a lot harder for women to break through and i feel like mm-hmm. rock was one of them even though yeah. they're there and they had such an impact on the genre yeah absolutely I and mean, we talk about that a lot next week with the the book that we read and the author that we had the chance to talk to so if you want to learn more a little bit about the foundations of women in rock and then hear about the experience of it all and just more women in general, check out next week's episode because yes, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of specific examples that the book we read it, that it gives to. Yeah, exactly. That just showcases how difficult it was specifically in the rock genre for women. Yeah, so, definitely. Because awesome. I knew this episode was coming up, I've been listening just to so much more Fleetwood Mac. Isn't it wonderful? It's I like my favorite. Before the concert, I found like the set list playlist and they mm-hmm. changed their set list actually quite a bit. Billy Joel, I think, is known for that. He went on and did a completely different set list. He was even the show oh, that's before. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like there it was pretty similar, but he like switched up the orders, switched out a few songs. So it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was a nice little surprise. But I was listening to like their overall set list playlist and I realized how many Fleetwood Mac songs I knew mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. how many I'd listened to and everything and like that I knew every word to. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this was a Fleetwood Mac song. This yeah, is so uh-huh. good. So it was fun to kind of that and then be able to hear so many of them live. And she wrote so many of them. So talk about that because she was pretty much I feel like I could confidently say the main songwriter behind Fleetwood. 
also just her vocal delivery. Like she's just incredible. So yes, that is something else I'll say. Her voice, phenomenal. Her stage presence, incredible. Like she's still got it. And um, her and Billy Joel, like they know how to put on a show. I think this was in a previous episode, but I was trying to figure out like the modern equivalents for them. And so I like asked ChatGPT what the modern version of Stevie Nicks and Billy Joel would be. And it said Ed Sheeran for Billy Joel and Lana Del Rey for Stevie Nicks, which Mm -hmm. makes sense. Kind of like them were like indie bohemian area, but then like still pretty popular. And then you have Sheeran who's like mainstream pop, like, yeah, writes music, performer, like really into the instruments. And it would be really fun to actually go see a show of the two of them together, even though I can understand why that would be a little weird. And Billy Joel yeah. didn't say that on the stage. Like, it may seem a little weird to have a Stevie Nicks Billy Joel concert, but yeah. hey, it sells tickets. And then he like laughed. And <laughs> can't argue with that one. Then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I understand why that would be a little different. Like, you guys weren't exactly in the exact same sphere. But yeah. at the same time, they're like literally a year apart in age. And they were mm-hmm. both really popular around the same time. And both of them haven't really quit performing. Yeah, which is so cool. Yeah, it was incredible. It was so good. If you have a chance, they announced more show dates for oh, this cool. coming year. So if you have a chance to go and see them, highly recommend. It was so good. The general age of the audience was like 70, maybe Amazing. older. <laughs> but it was really fun honestly i know they came to the stadium that's like literally 10 minutes from where i live but i didn't get a chance to go and i'm like oh should have done it but that's okay you'll have to check and see if they're coming again i know they announced what i was just wondering i'm like maybe they're coming again or they're coming close by that it'd be worth it no i'm glad they announced more shows for sure billy joel's also like retiring from his madison square garden residency this year after being there for who knows how long forever yeah, I was just gonna say yeah <laughs> so I don't know like how much longer they'll actually keep going they're both like 74 and 5 I think yeah yeah that's crazy I know but, but their so voices cool. yeah. still so good so so good so I'm excited to talk about her okay so let's just dive in let's then. do it yeah I'm cool. ready okay so hopefully most of you are aware of who Stevie Nicks is if you aren't, I'll give like a quick overview and then we'll go more in depth because I figured a little intro just so you get yep. the idea. <laughs> Perfect. Stevie Nicks is actually was born Stephanie Lynn Nicks. She was born May 26th in 1948. And fun fact, she was born in Arizona. So oh, cool. Yeah, it was her hometown that I heard her in. And she definitely commented on that, how she had grown up there and she drove past her old house and then commented on how mm. sad she was that she sold it. Aww. That even is later in. And that was really fun to hear her talk about. And she got very emotional because of it. And that makes sense. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. She actually started her career in a duo with her then boyfriend, Lindsay Buckingham. And they released one album with the title Buckingham Nicks. It didn't have a ton of success. It's still out there. I actually haven't listened to it, but I count to. I feel like it's yeah. probably really good. And then the two of them joined Fleetwood Mac in 1975. And I think Fleetwood Mac is a British band. And then they merged with them. And so it created like this American-British hybrid band that then did really popular because then you've got two major music audiences. The second album that featured both Buckingham and Nicks became one of the best-selling albums worldwide. 
being certified 20-time platinum in the United States. And then also, she remained a member of Fleetwood Mac and had a solo career, which is also something I feel like that's pretty rare. She was able to do that for quite a bit, actually remain a member of the band as well as having her own solo career, which if you Mm -hmm. could manage that, genius. Yeah, that's true. I feel like a lot (laughs) of like the people who break off from their band and do a solo, it's always it's after the fact. And I honestly assume that it was after the fact that she did that. I didn't realize it was simultaneously. It was tandem. So I'm like, of course, that would make you more money. That would make (laughs) sense. Yeah, smart. And then I feel like you don't run into that whole like the band versus them situation that we've seen with a lot of modern musicians, too. So mm-hmm. genius idea, if any of you are part of the band. Um, have the but- ability to do it. <laughs> yeah. So her studio album, Belladonna, topped the Billboard 200 and reached multi-platinum as well. There were eight studio solo albums that she did and seven studio albums with Fleetwood Mac, which reached, of course, 65 million copies in the U.S. alone. And she's been named the reigning queen of rock and roll by Rolling Stone since the release of her first solo album, as well as one of the 100 greatest songwriters of all time and one of the 100 greatest singers of all time by Rolling Stone. If you're a Fleetwood Mac fan, then you definitely know the songs Landside, Rhiannon, and Dreams. Ah, yes. (laughs) And Dreams was actually the band's only number one hit in the United States, along with her solo hit, Edge of Seventeen. And all of those songs have been included in Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. You know what? Yes. I would just like to put my stamp on of approval on that and just say, yep, I fully agree with that. And I was talking to a songwriter friend like earlier this week and I was listening to Landslide and I was just, I know this isn't a hot take. Like people have said this, but every time I listen to this song, I'm just like, yeah, this is one of the best songs ever. It's so good. It's just the best one of the top (laughs) ever. I don't know. You just can't deny it when you listen to it. No, I agree. And I will say the same about Edge of Seventeen and Rhiannon and, of course, Dreams. Like, they're just so good. Like, I feel like it's such a good good. idea of what powerful songwriting and music can do. They're incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's also the first woman to have been inducted twice into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. First as a member of Fleetwood Mac and then also as a solo artist. Guys, I'm telling you, this whole solo artist band situation seems like the way to go. the way to do it, yeah. (laughs) She has eight Grammy Award nominations, two American Music Award nominations as a solo artist, and won numerous awards with Fleetwood Mac, including a Grammy Award for Album of the Year in 1978 for Rumors. Checks out. And then her albums with Fleetwood Mac... Oh, the debut album, Fleetwood Mac, Rumors, and Belladonna, her solo album, have been included in the greatest of all time Billboard 200 albums chart by Billboard. And wow. Rumors was also rated the seventh greatest album of all time. Wow. As well as the fourth greatest album by female acts. So I'm telling you guys, she's good. <laughs> Great works here. Yes. <laughs> if yeah. you're trying to learn about songwriting and early music, I feel like she's definitely one to study. That's where you go. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So that's a little intro to her. Now we'll kind of dive into the backstory of the woman behind all of the awards and fame and everything else. So like I said, she was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Her grandfather is actually the one who taught her to sing duets with him by the time she was four years old. So she was singing from the very beginning. 
And her mother apparently was very protective. She kept her at home more than most people and then fostered in her daughter a love of fairy tales, Mm. which I feel like does show up in her music, actually. I can really see that. So that's really cool. As a toddler, she could only pronounce her name as T.D. because her name was Stephanie. And so it Um, led to them calling her Stevie and it stuck. And that's what she went by her whole life. Isn't it funny the littlest things that lead to like lifelong nicknames? Like the domino (laughs) effects sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like such a huge part of like her persona and like I know like, how she's known. Instead of Stephanie Nix, it's Stevie Nix, and it's just because she couldn't say her name when she was little. Yeah, I love that. She listened to a lot of top forty R and B radio. She loved the Shirelles and Martha Reeves and the Vandals stuff. Remember Walking in the Sand by the Shangri-Las. And her grandfather would just give her like truckloads of records when she was in the fifth mm. grade. It sounds like he just loved music and he really fostered and inspired that in her. She said there must have been 150 singles, country, rockabilly, some Everly Brothers, a song called Party Doll that went along. Anyway, she quotes the thing. And so anyway, like music just became a huge part of her life from very, very early on. Her father had a job as the vice president of Greyhound, like the bus company. And so the family actually ended up living in quite a different places. I didn't know, but she lived in Salt Lake City for a while growing up. Oh, no way. Cool. (laughs) So they went like Phoenix, Albuquerque, El Paso, Texas, Salt Lake City, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So definitely traveling a lot. And then on her 16th birthday, she was gifted a Goya guitar and wrote her first song titled I've Loved and I've Lost. I'm Sad, But Not Blue. I love that. I know, and she's 16. (laughs) Like, cute. And spent her whole adolescence playing records constantly and just living in her own little musical world. Amazing. While attending Arcadia High School in Arcadia, California, she joined her first band called The Changing Times that was a folk rock band focused on vocal harmonies. And I don't think they ever released anything, but I'm sure they played and performed around their local area. During... This time, she met her future musical and romantic partner, Lindsay Buckingham. And it was during her senior year in Atherton, California, different high school. I'm assuming they moved again. She saw him playing California Dreaming at the Young Life Club and ended up joining him in harmony during his performance and said, I thought he was a darling. And so they ended up hitting it off and dating little musician duo. He was in a psychedelic rock band called Fritz at the time, but two of the musicians were leaving for college. And so he asked her to replace the lead singer. And Fritz actually later opened for Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. Oh, wow. Yeah. From 1968 until 1970. She credits both of those acts, Jimi and Janis, of course, as inspiring her stage intensity and performance. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's insane. (laughs) Yeah. Those are huge acts to open for. They both ended up going to college together at San Jose State University, and she majored in speech communication and was actually planning on becoming an English teacher. And then um, with her father's blessing, she ended up dropping out of college and pursuing a musical career with Buckingham. You know, rock star, English teacher, mm-hmm. I feel like that goes hand in hand. Yeah, honestly, I, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. No, I like she that loved writing. Right. It makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay, so this is kind of when they end up matching up with Fleetwood Mac. So Fritz disbanded in 1972, and Nixon Buckingham continued to write as a duo. They were recording demo tapes at night in Daly City, California, and they actually kept, like, 
the Amex tape machine that they're recording all their duos on at the coffee roasting plant belonging to his father. You know, just little startup musician dreams mm-hmm. in the 70s. Absolutely. And they ended up securing a deal with Polydor Records and released the album, like I talked about, Buckingham Knicks. It wasn't a commercial success, and so their label dropped the pair immediately after. I wonder how they feel about that now. With no money coming in from the album, Buckingham actually contracted mononucleosis um, shortly after. It was just like a sore throat fever. Requires a few weeks of rest and relaxation in order to overcome it. So she started working multiple jobs since he can't perform, obviously, if he's got, Mm -hmm. if he's sick. And so she waited tables. She cleaned producer Keith Olsen's house, where they lived for a time being before moving in with Richard Deschutt. And during this time, they both became addicted to cocaine use. This part is really sad. They were told that it was recreational. Like they basically were told, oh, it's like marijuana. And then it wasn't going to have any lasting effects. What people thought. Yeah. Which is very sad. And so if you're getting told that and you're like, oh, it's just weed. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But of course, it's not. It's highly addictive and destructive. Um, so that became like a lifelong struggle that we'll definitely talk about more. But that's when they were introduced is so early on. Buckingham landed a guitar role during this time with the Everly Brothers during their 1972 tour. And so she stayed behind working on songwriting during herself and continuing to work. She wrote Rhiannon after seeing the name in the novel Triad by Mary Leader. And I thought this was really cool. Apparently she later bought the film rights. There's these Mabinogian novels of Evelyn Walton that featured a character named Rhiannon. And Nick mm-hmm. later bought the film rights to the work in hopes of bringing it to the screen. I hope that happens. I was just going to say. I don't think we've seen it yet, but that would be cool. And then she also wrote Landslide during this time, inspired oh by the scenery of Aspen and her slowly deteriorating relationship with Buckingham. And then Landslide, completely written alone by her while she's working and he's on tour with Everly Brothers. That's insane. Truly. Yes. In late 1974, Keith Olsen played the Buckingham Knicks track Frozen Love for the drummer Mick Fleetwood, who had come to Sound City in California in search of a recording studio. Fleetwood remembered Buckingham's guitar work when mm. Bob Welch departed to pursue a solo career. And so he called Buckingham and invited him to join the band. Just him. Oh. Buckingham refused, insisting that he and Nick's were a package deal and that he wouldn't join without her. Oh, smart that's, man. That's nice. Yes. Yeah. Which is really good, too, because like she was back in Aspen, like supporting his career and tour with the Everly Brothers and just working and writing. And I feel like it was really good that he did this. Like, obviously, they would not be what they were like Rhiannon and Landslide. Yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, the two of the most iconic Fleetwood Mac songs. <laughs> yeah. Are just sitting in her journal in Aspen while yeah. they're asking him to join. So they decided that incorporating them would improve Fleetwood Mac. It would make it into an Anglo-American band, blending the British and the American. And the first rehearsals that they had together confirmed the feeling. Harmonies added like this pop accessibility to their formal blues-based rock music. And it just really clicked for all of them. And so they became Fleetwood Mac. Their first album that they released, of course, was Fleetwood Mac in 1975. Rhiannon was on it. 
and it was voted one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And her live performances of the song throughout the decade began to take on theatrical intensity, which they said was very different from how the song plays on the album. It builds to this climax and her vocals get so impassioned. And I loved this quote from Nick Fleetwood. He declared Mm -hmm. her Rhiannon in those days was like an exorcism. Wow. And I will say hearing her sing Rhiannon live was amazing. But Uh I cannot even fathom hearing Fleetwood Mac with her singing Rhiannon in 1975. Oh, yeah. Okay, time travel button. Let's go fucking hear that. That sounds really cool. That's why I want a time machine, actually. Yeah. Landslide, of course, became another hit from the album with three million airplays. Um, During this time, she also really wanted to work on a unique online, I mean, unique onstage look. Gosh. Mm -hmm. And so she worked with the clothing designer Margie Kent and came up with this like bohemian style that had like flowing skirts, shawls, and platform boots. I think I have it in somewhere else. But the reason why she chose platforms is because Mick Fleetwood, who was the other lead singer, was like Mm -hmm. six, six or something. Oh, and she's 5'3". Wow. And so, so she didn't want to look like a tiny little person because <laughs> she was so short and he was yeah. so tall. And so she incorporated these huge platforms in order to look a little taller so that they okay. would, yeah, it would Not make a little more so sense. so astronomically different. Yes. Yeah, because mm-hmm. she's a very short woman and he's very tall. So during this time, also, like, her and Buckingham's relationship was eroding And so she ended their relationship, but they actually continued to stay in the band together. And I think this is something that's really cool, too, is that it didn't get in the way. It worked out. And they were able to stay friends. They began recording their follow-up album, Rumors, in early 1976 and continued it until the late of the year. And then also, Nixon Buckingham sang backup on Warren Zevin's second album as like a little side gig. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. Her main contribution to the album Rumors was Dreams, which was the band's only Billboard Hot 100 number one single. That's so cool. (laughs) Another hit from this time was the song Silver Springs, but they actually didn't include it on the album because the early versions of the song ran too long and they were worried about having too many slow songs on the album. Okay. And um, Nyx was actually really unhappy with the fact that they decided against including it. Because she was like, it has some of the best guitar work. Like, it's beautiful. And yeah. I agree. <laughs> and I it song, was yeah. written about her relationship with Buckingham. It was released as a B-side of the Go Your Own Way single. So they had Go Your Own Way on one side and then Silver Springs on the other. And Go Your Own Way was Buckingham's song about Nick's. So it's like this little breakup record. <laughs> oh, so I'm love. obsessed with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently those like copies of the record single with the double-sided breakup album became huge collector's items among funds. I, yeah, I can imagine. See. Totally fair. But um, Silver Springs actually wasn't included on an actual album until the four desk Fleetwood Mac retrospective 25 year anniversary oh, wow. edition. It took a long time for that to actually be released. Rumors, their second album, was the best selling album of 1977. And as of 2017, had sold over 45 million copies worldwide, making it one of wow. the best selling albums of all time. I also will say that's probably the most iconic album cover from them. 
It's so cool. Yeah, like that's the one you'll see probably if you Google them or see posters and stuff. It's the one Absolutely. that comes up. It remained number one in the American Albums chart for 31 weeks and reached number one in other countries. It won the Grammy Award for Album of the Year, very well deserved, in 1978, and mm. produced four U.S. Billboard Hot 100 top 10 singles, with her dreams, of course, being the only Billboard Hot 100 number one hit for the band. This is where some drama comes in, and I feel like I saw a lot of things that were like, explaining the drama and Fleetwood Mac and all this stuff. And oh, honestly, yeah. it probably was huge news at the time, but the fact that the band managed to stay together through all these like relationships and breakups, I feel like it wasn't as dramatic as maybe everyone made it out to be. That's they true. Didn't break like, up. They didn't stay together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> true. And I think it shows like a huge level of maturity. But this is the part that everyone talks about is this part, because obviously she had broken up with Buckingham. Mm -hmm. They wrote their breakup hits. And then after a New Zealand concert on the Rumors tour, Nix and Fleetwood started having an affair. And Fleetwood was married at the time to Jenny Boyd. And Nix has talked about it. She said, never in a million years could you have told me that would happen. Everyone was so angry because Mick was married to a wonderful girl and had two wonderful children. And I was horrified. I loved these people. I loved his family. So it couldn't possibly work out. And it didn't. I just couldn't. So she wow. ended it soon after it began and stated that if the affair had progressed, it would have been the end of Fleetwood Mick. Seems about right. Yeah. That's what, okay, yeah. that makes sense because I've, when people talk about Daisy Jones and the Six, it's basically just the story of Fleetwood Mac. So that checks out. There you go. Have you yep. seen Daisy Jones? I haven't yet. That one's on my list too. I've been watching a lot of movies instead of TV shows because they feel oh, shorter. Right. Yes. <laughs> so. Honestly, I read the Daisy Jones and the Six book and then watched like half of this yeah. season. So, but anyways, oh, I would still recommend fair. it. But Fleetwood didn't actually end up staying with Jenny Boyd either. He left for Nick's friend, Sarah Ricoeur. His relationship dissolved anyway with his wife, but at least it didn't end the band. Because and I feel like, of yeah, yeah, it shows like a lot of maturity on her part because I feel like now she's got two ex-lovers in the band. And the fact that she was able to continue performing with them without yeah. letting it get to her. I think it totally. shows, like, how level-headed she really is and, like, how she understood the greater picture of all of it. I just, mm -hmm. I admire that so much. I feel like I would be an emotional wreck. <laughs> yes. I just think it's so mature of her. Absolutely. And really admirable. Okay, so Rumors did really good. So they started recording their third album. And this one's called Tusk. And by the time Nyx had this huge backlog of songs that she couldn't record with Fleetwood Mac because they didn't have enough space to accommodate all three songwriters for the band oh, on each album. Oh, so they definitely were, like, using everybody's songs and then sharing them. Yes. There was three main songwriters. I think it was Buckingham, Fleetwood, and Nyx were the three. Mm -hmm. And so you have three songwriters. You're creating an album. You can't possibly include every single person's entire yeah. catalog of songwriting for each one mm -hmm. and so she just had this huge yeah huge collection of music tusk was released in 1979 mirage was recorded in 1981 and 1982 and those were the two additional um, fleetwood mac albums that she was working on 
During this time, she also sang backup on pretty much every track of Not Shy by Walter Egan. And there was a song called Magnet and Steel that was inspired by Nyx that prominently featured her backup vocals and was also a Billboard Hot 100 hit. Uh, Lindsay Buckingham at the time also produced the album playing guitar and backup vocals on some of the tracks. And she did hit duets Whenever I Call You Friend with Kenny Loggins and Gold with Jon Stewart during this time as well. Also, this was like a huge part of her show that even my parents were commenting that they didn't realize how involved she actually had been with Tom Petty. But she did like guest appearances with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on their Hard Promises tour. And they ended up doing quite a bit together. Like it will come up more. They were never Mm -hmm. like romantically involved at all. It was very much so like a Dolly Parton what's his face relationship yeah, yeah remember yeah. his name but yeah, the yeah. early one that dolly Parton porter wagner i think yes yeah. there we go so that was the same thing with tom petty and stevie nicks and on her concert at her concert she actually sang quite a few tom petty songs so mm-hmm. that makes sense they, then. yeah that. they worked together for a long time so during tusk being recorded and all of this going on she also recorded demos for her solo project and Nix, Danny Goldberg, and Paul Fishkin founded Modern Records so that they could record and release her material. So during this time, she was releasing, well, recording demos for her solo project. She found her record label and then releases Belladon. It did really well right. and fair. <laughs> it had critical and commercial acclaim, reaching number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Four singles made it to the Billboard Hot 100. And this is when Rolling Stone said, yep, she's the reigning queen of rock and roll. Love that. Yep. <laughs> yep. So also during this time, things got crazy for her in her personal life. She actually said that she never really got to enjoy Belladonna's success because a lot of the things that happened, which is a huge bummer. She got told that her friend Robert Anderson had leukemia and Anderson was pregnant at the time and was only giving three months to live. And when you're pregnant, you can't undergo chemotherapy. Yeah. So she gave birth to her son, made Nyx the godmother, and then ended up passing away shortly after giving birth. Just like a huge, horrible tragedy. Yeah. Um, In her grief, she actually ended up getting married to Robin's widower, Kim Anderson, and it wasn't romantic at all. It was just both of them loved her so much and thought that she would want them to care for the baby together. And oh. so they like, well, we're going to raise this child. So let's just, just get, married. get married. But she said later, she was like, we were all in such insane grief, just completely deranged. And they ended up divorcing so only three months later, which is fair. Mm. Like they weren't in love. They were just like grieving. And yeah. There's like a How do you handle a rash yeah, decision? Just a huge tragedy like that. So just a really emotional time. That actually is her only marriage that she oh, ever wow. had. And it was that one where it was just like a marriage of desperation. <laughs> and then realizing that no, that wasn't the right solution. So yeah, just be really sad. Belladonna actually also introduced Nix's permanent backup singers, Sharon Solani and Lori Perry, um, which is now Lori Nix because she married Stevie's brothers, Chris, Stevie's brother oh, Christopher. Cute. That's cool. Yeah. And they contributed vocals to all of her solo albums since then. 
In November of 1981, she embarked on her white-winged dove tour, which, iconic song, which she had to cut short in order to record Mirage. But oh, okay. it worked out. So she kind of balanced all the of them at the same time. Her-, her second solo album was The Wild Heart, and it went double platinum, reaching number five, featured three hit singles, and also introduced songwriter and performer Sandy Stewart as co-writer. And she performed all throughout California, toured in the U.S., and appeared on Saturday Night Live performing Stand Back and Nightbird in 1980. Cool. Um, it's funny that Saturday Night Live is still such an indicator of, like, success. Like, it's a moment still for someone right? to be on yeah, Saturday <laughs> Night Live. It's just for funny. Sure. That's always been a thing. Of, oh, they were on Saturday Night Live. They're doing well. After the Wild Heart tour, she commenced work on her third solo album, Originally titled Mirror, 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 she recorded songs during 1984, but was unhappy with it and ended up recording a whole new batch. Wow. Yes. Rock a Little was its retitled name and it released in 1985. Of course, once again, commercial success and supported three successful singles. She toured for Rock a Little and performed with Bob Dylan and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers during their tour in Australia all throughout 1986. Really, really busy time of her life. Like, you can tell she's just like, album tour, album tour. Another one, another one, another one. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. both with Fleetwood Mac and individually, as well as joining other artists on tour. It's like, okay. (laughs) The tour was also like a huge turning point in her life. She went in to talk to a plastic surgeon because of some issues with her nose. Oh. Because of her cocaine use. Mm -hmm. And she asked the surgeon, she said, what do you think about my nose? And he said, think the next time you do a hit of cocaine, you could drop dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this is another thing where I like admire her so much for this. Like, I think like the way she handled her relationships and then this quote from her. Oh, mm-hmm. like I can't even. So she finished the Australian tour with Dylan, with Bob Dylan and Tom Petty and mm-hmm. then checked herself into the Betty Ford Center for 30 days to overcome her cocaine addiction. And she actually talked about this decision and referenced back her influence of Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. And she mm-hmm. told an interviewer, I saw how they went down and a part of me wanted to go down with them. And then she said, but then another part of me thought I would be very sad if some 25-year-old lady rock and roll singer 10 years from now said, I wish Stevie Nicks would have stopped to think about it a little more. Um. Uh. And she wow. said, that's what kind of stopped me and made me really look at the world through clear eyes. Isn't that incredible? Wow. And I like this fork in the road of like, I can go down with the legends. But then she's like, wait a second. Yeah. And I think that it's like cool that she like recognized like the, the yeah. impact that she was aware that she was making. Like she yeah. knew she was like one of the greats, like considered that. And then she's all, you know, what example almost am I setting? Exactly. Like high mm-hmm. of her career. And mm-hmm. she's realizing, like, oh, this is. The I'd decision. rather have longevity. I'd rather, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I feel like that's such an important, oh, because yeah, I think it does come down to moments like that where you have to be like, a lot of the greats have gone down. Like, mm-hmm. I could go down with them. We've talked about the Twenty Seven Club and the, you know, like, kind of that idea. Yeah. And I feel like maybe a lot of it is the hero worship of a lot of like, the oh, the tortured artists. Oh, like, there's something that seems so romantic about that, but. Yeah. No. Then it's like her clarity of realizing, oh, this is going to like this could really mess someone up later. This decision has more of a ripple effect. 
This was also really cool because Billy Joel's past kind of had a similar thing. He was really addicted to alcohol and had to check Mm. himself into a rehab twice during his career. And I know we cover women, but I just thought it was cool to look at kind of the parallels between them and just how like they both had that decision where they had to decide either I follow this path that's already there, a like tragic artist situation, or I go, no. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, statistic here. And he's actually, he's only been sober for two years. But as of this year, like, long, long history. Long journey, yeah. Yeah. But just the fact that, like, both of them were able to make that choice that kept them here, really, really incredible. Very admirable. Especially because they're, like, two of the greatest songwriters of all time. (laughs) Literally, like, some of the (laughs) biggest success ever. Uh, Yeah, and I'm like, thank you for staying. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Seriously. This kind of led to another issue, though, because later on in the year, some of her friends were concerned that she was going to relapse. Like, obviously, that's a really heavy addiction. Mm -hmm. And she'd been doing it for a really long time. And so she visited a psychiatrist who prescribed clonopin to try and prevent her heroin use. Yeah. Not really a good idea. I'm not a psychiatrist, but clonopin is like really addictive yeah it just like placed another substance yeah. one for another like i guess it's not going up your nose but still so that kind of led to an additional issue that will show up again later so anyway she's now taking clonopin so in the late 1980s they began to work on fleetwood mac began to work on tango in the night But due to her promotional schedule for Rock a Little and the subsequent tour, she was unavailable to work on the album except for a few weeks following her stay at the Betty Ford Center. And she wrote the song Welcome to the Room, Sarah, because of her stay in rehab. But she sent the band demos of her songs to work on in her absence. Guys, what? Did you something write an album from rehab? That's true. And then the album was released in April 1987 and became the band's second highest selling album ever behind rumors. Oh, wow. Yes. During this time, there was like some creative differences, unresolved personal issues, and mm-hmm. Buckingham decided he was going to quit the group right before their world tour. Um, the bassist, John McVie, said that there was like a physically ugly confrontation between Nixon Buckingham because she challenged him leaving, which very sad. But they were able to embark on the Shake the Cage tour in September of 1987 with Buckingham replaced by Rick Vito and Billy Burnett. And the tour was suspended during it because Stevie Nicks got chronic fatigue syndrome and became addicted very heavily to clonopin Mm. so they suspended it and then resumed in 1988 and it like i said huge commercial success though in 1988 she worked on her fourth solo album with a record producer it's called the other side of the mirror and once again commercial success (laughs) and she became romantically involved with the record producer of the album so she toured the United States and Europe from August to November, and the only time she ever toured Europe was as a solo act, which I thought was interesting considering Fleetwood Mac was a British. Oh, yeah, true. But And later said, this is really sad, she had no memory of this tour because of the like dependency she had on Clonopin, 
And the psychiatrist kept increasing the amounts. Oh, and guys, I don't know what was going on here with the psychiatrist, but. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah, apparently they were just, like, trying so hard to keep her from regressing to, like, her cocaine use, but. But then, the, yeah, just yeah. Like, one thing for another, basically. I know, like, I don't think that's necessarily a good substitute. So in 1989, she went to work with Fleetwood Mac on Behind the Mask. It got moderate commercial success in the United States. It entered the chart at number one and was certified platinum. And so they went on a world tour. And on the last night, Buckingham and Nix reunited on the stage to perform Landslide together. Wow. Yes. And then after the tour concluded, Nix ended up leaving the group over a dispute with Mick Fleetwood, who would not allow her to release Silver Springs on her own single, oh. like, solo album, Time Space, the best of Stevie Nicks, because he wanted to save it for a release on a forthcoming Fleetwood Mac box set. And he ah. was like, oh, the song's going to be a valuable selling point. Because it's like a deep cut that has a bunch of like interest fans. in the fans. Totally. But then she was like, it's my song. Let me uh, release it. So I want it. it for my album. Yeah. Like, fair points from both. I can see that. But it's like they cut it from the original album. So I don't think it was necessarily fair. Yeah. But <laughs> that is tricky. Yeah. Because I guess yeah. I can see both perspectives. But like, I know. But then yeah. it's like, she wrote it. Yes. Which <laughs> is important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, a messy situation. On the 10th anniversary of her solo career debut, she released Time Space, the best of Stevie Nicks. And then actually the following year, Fleetwood Mac released their four-disc box set, 25 Years, The Chain, which included Silver Springs. They were released within go. a year of each other, but messy. I thought this was funny. Um, during the 1992 presidential campaign, Bill Clinton used the Fleetwood Mac song, Don't Stop, as his campaign theme song. Mm. Where did campaign theme songs go? Yeah. <laughs> I want people to pick a popular, like, billboard. Yeah, like, let's make that popular again. <laughs> that sounds really fun. So she ended up joining the lineup of the band from Rumors, including Buckingham, to perform the song at his inaugural gala. Wow. And there wasn't, like, plans for an official reunion. And what happened at the time was actually horrible. Oh, I just realized she was only five foot one inches. Really, really short. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought she was 5'3". She's 5'1". She had gained some weight. Um, She was only... I'm not going to say her weight. It doesn't matter. But anyway, she had gained mm -hmm. some weight because Klonopin, she said, was worse than the cocaine. She basically said she lost eight years of her life. She hardly wrote anything, and she had gained so much weight. And so she went and did this thing, and then all these people attacked her over uh. how much weight she had gained, just saying that she, like, looked horrible and... That's so sad. I guess yeah. especially the 90s. Like, we know how I know the 90s were with things like that. Yeah, just horrible. And then the turning point, too, is she was holding a baby shower at her house. She tripped over a box, passed out, cut her forehead near a fireplace, and woke up and was just horrified seeing the blood. She said she's one of those people who just doesn't injure themselves. Like, it doesn't happen mm -hmm. for her. And she was like, I didn't even drink enough for that to be like a thing. And so mm. she knew it was the clonopin. And so she went oh. to the hospital and had a 47-day detox to try and get the clonopin out of her system. Wow. Yeah. It was successful, luckily. And she was able to release her fifth solo album, Street Angel, with material mostly written in previous years because of everything that had been going on. It 
apparently was like poorly received, but it still reached number 45 on the Billboard Top 200. So. But I guess yeah. like to, to be like the biggest star yeah. and to go from there to it's like, oh, didn't really get even top 10. It's like, yeah, didn't really do too great. Yeah. Her biggest criticism with it was that like a lot of the production took place during her second stint in rehab when she was doing that mm. detox. And so she didn't have a lot of say over what the final product actually turned out like. So I think she was oh, probably unsatisfied with like, a lot of the final production of the songs. And totally. I, she probably blamed that on why it Yeah, which makes sense because so well. it's like if the actual artist isn't as involved with the actual product, like it's just not going to. Yeah. People aren't going to relate to it as much and like it as much. Exactly. So she did a three-month tour to support the album, but there was just so much focus on her weight and like all this criticism from the reception of the album. And she was just disgusted by everyone talking about how overweight she was. And so she literally vowed that she was never set foot on stage again unless she slimmed down. Oh, so unfair. So sad. Yeah, it's yeah, just ridiculous. So, so in 1996, she reunited with Buckingham and contributed to the duet Twisted for the Twister movie soundtrack. And then in 1996 as well, Cheryl Crow penned Somebody Stand By Me featured on the Boys of the Side and she remade Tom Petty's Free Fallen for Fox TV's Hit Party of Five, which she did sing, I think, Free Fallen at her concert too. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. That's cool. Um, yes. So then, because she has a very long career. I just going to say, yeah. <laughs> so in 1996, Buckingham was working on a solo album. And he enlisted the help of Fleetwood and McVie. And then it eventually led to a reunion of the entire band. I just love it because, like, they had broken up at this point, And then they're like, hey, I'm writing this solo album. You guys want to help me? And then it was like, actually, let's just all get back let's together. Just, yeah. <laughs> so Nix joined and they went on tour in 97. And it was the dance tour. It cool. coincided with her 20th anniversary release of Rumors. And before the tour, she worked with a vocal coach to try and get her voice to have more control and protect it from touring stress. Mm -hmm. And then also went on a diet and jogging every day in order to lose weight so that the criticism wouldn't come about her body, which is so unfair. I cannot emphasize how stupid that is. But the band's live CD, The Dance, was released, of course, to critical and commercial success and Earned them several Grammy nominations. And they also, like, one of the major ones was they got a Grammy nomination, Grammy award for best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals for their live performance of Silver Springs. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, which is fun. And then she joined the group for their induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then they were also awarded the Outstanding outstanding contribution at the brit awards then during this time she was working on a new solo album but she was approached by warner music to release a solo career spanning box set and this was to finish out her contract with atlantic records she did that and sat down with her friends and colleagues to devise a track list for the three disc collection it was called enchanted and it had a bunch of like notes from her rare photographs pages of her journals And she went on tour to support the box set and then also contributed to the Practical Magic soundtrack and performed in a bunch of other things. Like, cool. just continuing to be a very successful time period for her. She came out of her clonopin pin dependency at this time, which was so good. And she actually was about to stop writing music. Tom Petty actually came to her and was like, hey, will you write a song with me? 
And she told him, nope, Mm -hmm. I'm done. (laughs) And he said, no, you're not, and convinced her. And so they were able to continue performing and having her write songs, which... Thank That's you, amazing. Tom Petty. Yeah, literally. <laughs> she did a couple of like sessions. Guys, there's so much going on. I don't even. But she released her next album. I think it's Trouble in Shangri-La. It restored her solo career. Planets of the Universe was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Female Rock, Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. And cool. they named her Artist of the Month. She made the People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People list. She had a little um, comeback moment. Love that. Yes. So they did a whole behind the music episode. Cool. All sorts of things. And went on tour again, of course. But had to cancel a few because she had acute bronchitis, which mm. sounds horrifying. And then also shows were canceled because of the September 11 attacks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which that makes sense. I can't mm-hmm. even imagine the impact that that had for a while there. Totally. Okay. 2001, I did not realize how long Fleetwood Mac continued recording. Like, I knew they went until the early 2000s, but it went quite a ways. Like I said, long career. But they began working on a new studio album in 2001, but this time it didn't have Christine McVie, which left her as the sole woman in the band. And Mm -hmm. after the end of her solo tour, they recorded their new album, Say You Will, which was released in 2003. Commercial success. And world tour. She said later in interviews that she wasn't happy with the album or the successful world tour that followed because there were so many production disputes with Buckingham. And without her, like, fellow female band member, Christine McVie, she just, I'm sure, kind of like a no one really to back her up. I mean, on, like, certain things. So probably a lot of decisions she just ended up getting steamrolled over. There actually was a documentary. Of the making of the album called Destiny Rules that was released on DVD in 2004 and chronicled the turbulent relationships between the band members, especially Buckingham and Nick's during that time. And I feel like all these things like them breaking up and this and that makes it seem so dramatic. But like now, I don't know. I'm like, they were all still working because they're still performing. So it really couldn't have been that bad. But also, I guess if you're making enough money, it's like, you'll put up with a lot of crap. That's true. Like, you put up with your coworkers at work yeah. sometimes, regardless of... So it's kind of... Yeah, like, pe- like people will put, go through a lot at work yeah. because of the need. And it's like, you're making millions of dollars. Like, okay. Okay, fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But once again, I think it was really cool that they were able to manage without it leading into more things. So she took a break from the Say Will tour and actually ended up doing 10 shows with Don Henley and then continued doing solo shows on her Gold Dust tour and brought along Vanessa Carlton as her opening act and played over 20 dates. Then she released the very best of Stevie Nicks, Crystal Visions, and it did really well, too. It was a compilation track, a compilation album. Which we don't really have anymore. Because, like, why would you? Yeah, because Spotify. streaming services. Yeah, you just go to the best of (laughs) Stevie Nicks on Spotify. It's basically a greatest hits album. But I get why people did it back then. Because then it was, Mm -hmm. like, the top songs from all of the albums. You only had to buy one one. album and you had hits. Mm -hmm. It's funny how things die off. But, of course, it did really well. It had all of her hit songs. 
It had a dance remix. It had a new track. had a live version of Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll. And they made two versions, one with just audio and then a deluxe version, which included a DVD that had all of her music videos and auto com- audio commentary. And then also footage from the Belladonna recording sessions. Look, 2009, she releases another album, Soundstage Sessions. It does well. <laughs> then yeah. they also, Fleetwood Mac went on tour in 2009. And Christine McVie, once again, wasn't included. But the tour was branded as like a greatest hits show. Then she worked on her first solo album in a decade. Because obviously the previous ones were compilation tracks. So she started working on that and performed a series of shows that wasn't really a tour, didn't have any of her new music. She didn't want it to end up on YouTube, which I think is funny. Yeah. (laughs) She wanted her new music to come out. And she also Mm -hmm. did like a whole show to benefit a young girl she'd met through Make-A-Wish, which I thought was really cool. She like met someone through Make-A-Wish and then also went on to do a whole show to help benefit her. Yeah, that is special. And then her album, In Your Dreams, came out. And they did this whole promotional thing, of course, now with all of the online stuff, providing free downloads of the single, who ordered the album, Mm -hmm. all of the internet in the early days of it. And apparently this song was kind of a thing that, like, it had been a demo for rumors, but it didn't make it. And so the demo version was, like, circulating among fans for a really long time. And so it was like a really big deal that it was being released finally by her. Oh, cool. Yeah. And her goddaughter, Kelly, performed, appeared in the video for the song, wearing a vintage dress that Nyx had worn on stage. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is cute. And that's her goddaughter from her friend that passed away. And she said that Kelly was portraying like the young Nyx and then blending with the soul of Nyx's 62-year-old self. So very cute, bringing that all together. And it did very well. There was a documentary, did very well. Cool. (laughs) And she performed on The Tonight Show, X Factor, Oprah, Ellen, Dancing with the Stars, all of the things. I feel like now it's like funny to like see her like promoting music in a modern sense where it's like, oh, I guess at this point. I know. It's like it's 2010. Like, we were mm-hmm. in high school. Middle school. school yeah. Middle school. Yeah, 2010 through 2013. Like, this was our middle school, high school days. So it's, like, early internet situation. One thing that's really funny, her new album, In Your Dreams, came out. And mm-hmm. Rolling Stone commented, it's not just her first album in 10 years. It's her finest collection of songs since the 80s, Aww, which is awesome. Nice. Yeah. And then it, it did really well. Like I've said, all of them did well. Like this one did really well. And it did so well that on the same day her Nyx album was released, Fox Network broadcast the Glee episode, Rumors, oh, which cute. featured six <laughs> songs from Fleetwood Mac's album, including Jury. Mm-hmm. And it sparked renewed interest in the band and their most commercially successful album. And so Rumors re-entered the Billboard 200 chart at number 11, the that is telling week. of how big of a deal Glee was. Yeah. I know. That and it that was, could affect that. <laughs> and that was the same week that her solo album, In Your Dreams, debuted at number six. So she quoted, well, Billboard quoted her saying that her new album was her own little rumors. Like it was the best album since rumors. By Love Fleet that. Mac. Yeah, Glee, guys. <laughs> 
a whole new world in the early internet days. Fleetwood Mac toured again. They released new studio material in a Say You Will digital download EP that you could download on iTunes. (laughs) It had three new songs and then also another documentary. Now this kind of everything since 2014. Obviously, she's kept going, but it's kind of slowed down a little and been a little bit more diversified. So she actually did like a role on American Horror Story and played like a fictional version of herself portraying herself as like a white witch with supernatural powers in three episodes. And on the show performed Rhiannon, Has Anyone Written Anything for You, Seven Wonders and Gypsy, some of her most popular songs. And just talked about how important it is to her that people were able to connect with her music in like new ways. That's cool. I didn't realize that she was on American Horror Story. Mm -hmm. That's fun. I want to watch that season. Yeah. And then she also released an eighth studio album, 24 Karat Gold, Songs from the Vault, a vault track album, which Ah, reached number seven on Billboard 200 and then also went on another tour with Fleetwood Mac, reunited with Christine McVie. So I feel like it's like, did Fleetwood Mac really ever break up? Like, it seems like they're all still (laughs) coming back together. They're just taking little breaks here and there. Yeah. Like now they pretty much are, but it's because most of them have passed away, sadly. Yeah, they're just they're old. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure it was Christine McVie that she did a whole memorial track for during the concert yeah. because I think she just passed away, Christine McVie. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so she like sang a whole song and showed photos of them and everything together. It was very cute. Yeah. So anyway, so they reunited, they went on tour. It was great. <laughs> Then she released another compilation album. It was Crystal Visions. It was a reissue. And they released it on crystal clear, transparent double vinyl. Very cool. And it came with like limited edition things and it did really well as well. Oh, she also was featured on Lana Del Rey's fifth studio album, Lust for Life, in the song titled Beautiful People, Beautiful Problems. How fitting. Yeah. Yeah, you you made the comparison. There it is. is. They even worked together. And then also performed with Tom Petty again and the Heartbreakers singing Stop Dragging My Heart Around, which she sang with Billy Joel live and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And with Tom Petty as a part of the Heartbreaker set. And it would be their final performance of the song together before he passed away in October of 2017. Okay, Fleetwood Mac breaks up again (laughs) because Lindsey Buckingham was fired because he was disagreeing with Nick's and Nick Fleetwood once again. And Nick's helped recruit his replacements, Mike Campbell of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Nielsen of Crowded House. And this, this is crazy. This happened lineup, five years ago. Like, I this know. Is 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Did a whole world tour entitled An Evening with Fleetwood Mac throughout 2018 and 2019. In 2019, she was elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on her own for her solo work, making her the first woman to ever be inducted twice. And then she released a live album and concert film from all of her tours and Mm -hmm. another new music track called Show Them the Way with an official video. And then her music was sold and the Wall Street Journal valued the deal at US $100. Wow. Which fair. Yeah, so crazy. she canceled a headlining tour because of COVID. Guys, I'm telling you, she never quit. 
And then has just continued to perform here and there with a couple of different things. So like, and now she's on tour with Billy Joel. Now she's on tour with Billy Joel. Like, Mm -hmm. she had a few breaks here and there, but honestly. She kept going. She kept going the whole time. She developed, so talking about just like a few other things before we end on like just things about Stevie Nicks. Now that we've kind of covered her whole career. Um, Like I talked about, she would wear those huge six inch platforms. And she said that she continued to do these even when platforms went out of style. Good thing for her they're back in, but I don't think she was wearing them. She doesn't really have to anymore. But <laughs> she didn't want to be so short. And then also she created the uniform, that sort of this witchy look that went with her songs and performances. And mm. so she would, she has these like strands of beads that she had hanging from her microphone. And apparently one of them was actually Janis Joplin's stage beads that she oh, incorporated wow. on hers. Crazy. And then one time she said that she saw a woman in her audience dressed in dripping chiffon with a Gibson girl hairstyle and big boots and went, I want to look like that. Oh, Isn't that's that cool? cool. Mm-hmm. Like see someone in her audience and she's like, yeah, that's the look I want. Like, that girl's cool. (laughs) I want to be like that. So she took the look, made it her own, and has that bohemian style. And she's known for decorating her microphone stand with, like, roses, ribbons, chiffon, crystal beads, scarves, and small stuffed toys. And for Mm -hmm. her performance, she had her microphone stand completely decked out in strings of beads. And she would, like, play with them and move them. It was cool. It was very, very bohemian of her. She's also known, of course, for her philanthropy. She did a lot with the army and everything. And then another thing I wanted to mention about her style is that she does like multiple wardrobe changes during live performances, but she prefers to wear black on stage. And I thought this was so interesting. In the late 70s, she started getting like threatening mail accusing her of witchcraft. Oh, okay. (laughs) And she said, at the beginning of my career, the whole idea that some wacky, creepy people were writing, you're a witch, you're a witch, was so arresting. And there I was like, no, I'm not. I just wear black because it makes me look thinner, you idiots. But like (laughs) the witch rumors frightened her so much that she gave up black from like 1978 to 1982 and would wear like brighter colors like apricot and seafoam green. But she hated them. She said she felt so ugly in them. And so she ended up going back to black in 1983. I bet and she loved being on American Horror Story. Oh, like, yeah. Maybe I am a witch, everybody. Joke's on you. Yeah, but hilarious. that same year, they asked her, they're like, what do you think about the people who still believe you're a rumor that you're a witch? And she was like, I don't like it at all. And I wish people would stop thinking about it because I spent thousands of dollars on beautiful black clothes and I had to stop wearing them for a long time because people scared oh. me. <laughs> oh. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And but fair, I'm sure she was like worried about like death threats and stuff that people yeah. thought she was a witch like a modern day salem witch hunt totally like, ridiculous yeah, pe- history was not kind to witches so no i get that but she sings a lot about her style in the song gypsy she sings about the store called the velvet underground which is a boutique in san francisco and that's where like janice joplin and grace slick were known to shop and that's how she her influence as well Of course, she's inspired so many people. I'm not even going to go into all of them. But just huge amounts of people like Beyonce, Courtney Love, you know, like everyone. The Chicks, like formerly known as Dixie Chicks, also even covered her song Landslide, which became like a top 10 hit 
on the charts as well and on the country. I love country charts. Yeah, their version of it is so nice. Yes. And then it also ended up winning like Song of the Year. And oh, cool. What's cool about that is that the award's given to the songwriter regardless mm-hmm, of the performer. Mm-hmm. And so she won Song of the Year and <laughs> the most performed country song of the year. Yeah. Wow. So that's really cool too. And it was included on their platinum track. Yeah. It's always fun. Like, both versions of it are like so equally good in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just so fun when it's like someone can do a cover so well that like really does take a whole life on their own. Right. But, yeah, yeah. I loved it. I love that. No, song. it's really cool. I also want to hear this one. Apparently the band The Smashing Pumpkins made like an acoustic cover oh, of cool. the song too. I'm like, ooh, I want to hear, hear that. that too. And just a few other things. She performed with Taylor Swift at the 52 oh, yes. Annual Grammy Awards. And... Swift described Nix as one of her childhood heroes, saying it's a fairy tale and an honor to share the stage with Stevie Nix. Love that. And she was one of the 15 artists we nominated for induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018, and then was, of course, inducted. I feel like I've mentioned that so many times. But yes. also, I have to mention, I love the duet she does with Miley Cyrus. Yes. When- yeah, Edge of Seven. I was going to bring that up. Midnight Sky. Edge of so Midnight. good. It's it is so good. So good. Oh, I listen God. to that song all the time, like still, and it came out years ago. Okay, and but Miley and hers voices. So good together. Ugh. So good. I am so glad Miley's in this whole like rock era. It's where she should have been from the beginning. Like it's, mm-hmm. it fits her so well. Uh, yeah, like I talked a lot about her personal life throughout the whole thing. Like the only time that she was married, her relationship with her producer she actually referred to a relationship with the Eagles guitarist Joe Walsh as one mm. of her greatest loves, but they had some mutual drug abuse problems, and mm. so they weren't able to continue their relationship, which is a bummer. She ended up not getting married mainly, mainly because of her career. She didn't want it to get in the way of anything, which I feel like we've talked about that with a lot of female artists where it comes down to yeah. It's crazy that even the statistics now that it's like single men live longer and have more successful careers that they get married and single women actually live shorter and have less successful careers that they get married. And that's proven with statistics. And so it just sucks that like a lot of the times women feel the need to like that they have to choose one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like I talked about, she did live in Arizona for quite a long time. And shared that house that she had there with her brother and then his wife that was her backup singer and their daughter, Jessica, her niece. But they did sell it in 2007 because she was trying to downsize and ended up moving, I think, to Los Angeles or the coast somewhere. Maybe it was San Francisco. But in her concert, she did talk about how, like, she always thinks that she'll miss the ocean when she goes on tour. And then she's like, but then I get to Arizona and I don't. (laughs) She's like, there's so much like magic and everything in the desert. And I feel like it fits her so well. So she did talk about how she regretted not keeping her house there. So maybe she'll look back. Who knows? One quote from her about like her mission in life was, my mission maybe wasn't to be a mom and a wife. Maybe my particular mission was to write songs and make mom and wives feel better. Oh, I like that. Same. Mm-hmm. It's just really cute and sweet. And I wanted to end with this because I love it. And I hope that somehow we do get a book from her because she's mm-hmm. such an incredible writer. But she said, I wouldn't write a book unless I could really tell the truth. 
and say all the people are in it are represented right. If I'm going to talk about the people in my life, I need to be old enough. And so do they that nobody's going to care. I would never write a book about the bad parts. I would mostly revel in the fantastic parts of which there were so many. But she has had a journal every day since her tenure and Fleetwood Mac began. She's written in it practically every day. And she said, I like to tell all my fairy goddaughters and my niece that when I'm gone, they can sit on the floor and go through all these journals and they can walk through my life and they can smell the gardenia perfume on the pages and they can have it in their hands, who I was. Oh, that's magical. I what? just so special. I know this was like a long episode, but guys, the love I have for Stevie Nicks. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. I know. I'm like, oh, that makes me want to write a journal. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, that's like my New Year's resolution this year. Get back into journaling because I used to be a crazy yeah. avid journaler. In like the last year and a half, two years, it's just fallen off, but... There you go. That can be your motivation. I'm like, wow, got to just be just like Stevie Nicks, honestly. But I can't even imagine being like her niece or her goddaughters and knowing that like you're going to be able to sit down and read the journal about the early days of Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac and Stevie Nicks. And like, yeah, Whoa! that's so cool. I want her book. And I also love I think it shows she does have a lot of reverence and respect for the people in her life, even the people who like maybe she didn't have always a great relationship with that. She was yeah. just like, if I were to write a book, I- she doesn't want it to be like gossip fodder. Like she would want it to be just to highlight the magical moments she- that obviously they yeah. had as a group and a band. So, And I, I think, that. like I said, like the maturity that all of them, that just like they were able to keep going, keep reuniting through all of it. And like they had moments mm-hmm. where they were separated and moments they came back together and disagreements and relationships. And yet like you can tell that all of them had such like a, respect for each other that there hasn't been more that's come out about yeah maybe those disagreements and that they all still care so much and even for her like i just want to write about the highlight reel like it was just so good and that's like yeah you know what if you're able to look back on it and be like that was just incredible that's amazing yeah yeah Uh, what a great story to start (laughs) off the new year learning all about no she's just incredible i feel like i need to I don't think I've actually ever listened to her album, Belladonna, like down oh, top to bottom. It's so, so good. <laughs> like that's my personal homework for tomorrow. I will be yes. taking up on that. I'm very excited. It's really good. I- the Belladonna remastered also includes her Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh, cool. Which I love. And Amazing. then quite a few of some of the other songs that I talked about. So yeah. Definitely check them out. It stands the test of time. They're so good. I'm excited to go back. Yeah. And deep dive. And go listen to Edge of Midnight. Oh, yeah. in my Always. Life. So good. But yeah, so that's Stevie good. Nicks. If Yay. you get a chance, go see her in concert before she stops touring. Although, Literally, who knows? Yeah. Maybe she'll keep going forever. Yeah, maybe she's like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> no, she's not done yet. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Thank you for teaching me more about Stevie Nicks. Now I really just feel like I got the snapshot of just how much she's been working booked and busy this whole time and if thanks listener for being here we have a fun year that we're looking forward to and yeah come follow us on instagram like subscribe you can watch us on youtube now and yeah welcome to our women in rock month well i'm so excited it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.